Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. that's really impacted my life called Lifestyle Evangelism uh, back in 1989. This was one of my textbooks uh, as a, a student at Bible College. And Joseph Aldrich talks about uh, embarking on a journey, uh, on a pilgrimage, if you like, on being a follower of Jesus. And he says, what do Cinderella, princesses, kissing frogs, and ugly ducklings have in common? All three describe a pilgrimage to beauty. Why does the delightful story of Cinderella endear itself to the hearts of millions of people around the world? Because one persistent prince is able to transform a lowly, unkept, awkward servant girl into a charming, beautiful, graceful princess. Whether it be princesses kissing frogs, ugly ducklings becoming swans, or abused Cinderellas becoming bells of the ball, Beauty is always irresistible. Its secrets are priceless. Its presence is magnetic. I have done over 300 weddings as a pastor uh, for many years, and I've never seen an ugly bride. I've seen different looking brides, but um, I've never seen an ugly bride. Brides are beautiful. Brides are beautiful. And so what Aldrich is saying is that the church is to be beautiful. It's, to, it's called the bride of Christ in the New Testament. He carries on and says, It should come as no surprise then that God's strategy for discipleship and evangelism involves a beautiful bride. And so he, he tells us how we can become those beautiful brides. Uh, and, and that comes through... Uh, discipleship, it comes through relationship with Christ, and that ultimately uh, filters out into the world, and then also uh, as a form of evangelism. The Greek word for disciple, as Anthony mentioned last week, is the word matitis. So when Jesus commands uh, his last command before uh, he ascends up to the Father, he, he says to, the, to those 12 disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Not go and make converts, but go and make disciples of all nations. The word there, matites, go and make learner teachers. Go and make learner teachers. That lifelong experience that, uh, you know, you begin as an apprentice and you eventually qualify to do and teach others. In other words, it's got this I'm learning from somebody as I'm teaching somebody else. The reason for the filling is the overflow. I'm learning from somebody who is discipling me, and I am teaching somebody else that I am discipled or discipling. And so I'm filled, blessed to be a blessing, and as I do that, I share with somebody else. Because what we share, we keep, but what we keep, we lose. 
And that's early on a Sunday morning. Let me say that again. What we share, we keep. But what we keep, we lose. And so as we are learning from somebody else, so we are teaching somebody else. And so that's the command there. One of the beautiful verses uh, that uh, almost explains the life of John is found in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And we know that John is the disciple whom Jesus loved, but this particular verse is John and Peter going out after Jesus ascends and begins, or they begin to share the good news. And it says, now as they were observed, uh, now, as they observed the confidence, that's the other people around them, observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And that word confidence there, uh, in verse 13, uh, the King James says boldness. It's the word parisia, which means they were frank, they were blunt, they spoke about what they'd experienced publicly because they had had an encounter with Jesus. They were in relationship with Jesus. They had experienced Jesus. They had learned from Jesus, and so they were happy to share with others what they had learned. In other words, they were bold in telling their story of uh, His glory, if you like, about what they'd experienced about Jesus. And so those around, it says, although they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. Those that had come into contact with Peter and John were amazed. The word thavmazo, uh, it's, it's kind of almost the equivalent of, the, they, the, uh, it's as if they'd experienced a miracle from these not so bright disciples, that they were amazed, they were in wonder, and they marveled. And in fact, there was this beautiful attraction and admiration of who they were. They wanted to know more. Why? Because, to quote Joseph Aldrich, they had become beautiful. They had become attractive like a bride. Attractive in the sense they were welcoming, they were stunning. They said, wow, how beautiful is that? Let me share uh, a couple of points about this great uh, disciple, John. Uh, not too much information about him, but we know that he was definitely a prominent figure in the New Testament. Uh, we know that he was a, a Palestinian Jew. In other words, he would have known the first five books of the Old Testament. He would have memorized them. Kind of that whole section there, he would have memorized growing up as a kid, like all Jewish boys uh, growing up at school would have had to memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, he would have memorized as a Jew. Uh, he was indoctrinated by the scriptures, uh, had, interestingly enough, no rabbinical training. Although he was uh, from a wealthy family, normally there would have been a rabbi that would have gone round to these uh, young men who were uh, in their families and would have appointed them and said, come and follow me. Come and follow me. And so that rabbi would become the discipler of that young man. But he was not chosen by any rabbi. And as he's growing up in uh, Bethsaida and the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, he uh, becomes a fisherman, similar to uh, his father, 
Now, he comes from a, a wealthy family. His father was Zebedee. Uh, we read about Zebedee in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, and in Mark 1, 19. Uh, but he's also got a brother. Now, we know that they were wealthy because they had servants who could actually mend their fishnets. Uh, and uh, I've never had to mend a fishnet. I've had to untie many uh, you know, tangles in, in the fishing line, which I don't do very well. It always helps when you've got a knife. You cut it out. Uh, but he, the, they had servants that could actually mend those fishing nets. And so normally you would find John and James, his brother, would be mentored by rabbis. But in this particular case, God had another plan. And so they had no mentors or no rabbis to come alongside them. You see, when you, somebody sees potential in you, like a rabbi, they actually call you to their side and say, come and eat my dust. Come and eat my dust. In other words, follow me and take the footsteps, metaphorically, that I take, take the footsteps that I take and eat my dust. In other words, you begin to learn from me and one day when you are mature enough, you'll be able to teach somebody else. In other words, that rabbi would say, come and be caked in my dust. And so you will begin to say the things that that rabbi taught you. You begin to live like that rabbi lives. And so it was quite profound, but John and James were never uh, chosen by a rabbi to follow them. And if you look at most of the disciples, they never had a rabbi because they were kind of washouts. They were, you know, what can we ever do with your life? Or what can you do? Well, just follow in dad's footsteps. You know, take over the family business. You too become a fisherman because, you know, there, there is no real potentially in you to succeed. And here, Jesus identifies John and calls him and basically says to him, John, come and follow me or come and be caked in my dust as you follow and walk in my footsteps. And after a while, once that disciple is caked with that rabbi's dust and has learned enough from that rabbi, he begins to teach others. Remember what he learned? He begins to teach, and people will say, ah, that particular person was with rabbi so-and-so. Now, we know that Jesus was called a rabbi, a teacher, and they say to these disciples, you are a, rabbi, a, a, a follower of Rabbi Jesus. We saw you spend time with him. You speak like he does. And folk, that's what discipleship does. You begin to, uh, as Anthony mentioned, iron sharpening iron. And who's our great teacher? Jesus, through the word of God. And we begin to take on his dust, if you like. And what we uh, share with those we come into contact with is because we are caked in his dust and we are sharing. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So as we are caked in the words of Jesus, so we become beautiful like that bride and the world sees who uh, we follow and they begin to want the same. And so this great disciple uh, 
begins to follow Jesus and has quite a powerful position uh, in the things uh, because of his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that he was intimate with Jesus in the sense of that close relationship. And because he had conversations with Jesus, we can read about it in John 13, where uh, at the the Last Supper, um, Jesus uh, and him are kind of uh, on one another, if you like, um, not in a peculiar sense, but, you know, they were, they were kind of knotted together, that Greek word tells us, um, where, where John puts his head on Jesus' bosom. And uh, we don't use that word now anymore, but it's basically uh, the, the word called, which means almost like a knot, and, and somebody is comfortable enough to rest on, you know, or be close enough so you can talk to them. There's without masks, that you're able to talk to them, and you're talking, you know, the things that are close to your heart. And John actually says in John 13, 23, um, he says something really beautiful. He doesn't say, well, the one that I loved. No, he he humbles himself, and he says, uh, the one whom Jesus loved. He knew that he was loved by the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else in this world. In fact, in John 15, he says, no greater love is this, that a man give his life for a a friend. That a man give his life. And he knew that the one that he was following was prepared to give his life for him. And so he, he says, no greater love is this. And so he says, that greater love is, I've experienced it because it's Jesus Christ who loves me. And that's why I'm able to, to write and say, the one whom Jesus loved. This John was such a great man and used by God that he wrote five books in the New Testament. You know them. The fourth gospel, the gospel of John. Near the end of the New Testament is one, two, and three John, those three epistles. And then while he's on, in exile on the Isle of Patmos, after he'd been boiled in hot oil by uh, one of the, uh, the people who were in charge there, He goes and he comes out of that, a massive miracle, and he's exiled on the island and writes the book of Revelation. Isn't that amazing? Gospel of John, 1, 2, and 3 John, and the book of Revelation. That's how God uses him so mightily and powerfully. And he says, the one whom Jesus loved. doesn't say the one who was a mate of Jesus, the Greek word phileo. No, no mates. He doesn't say the one who was actually my first cousin because his mother, Salome, was sisters with the mother of Jesus, Mary. They were sisters. So Jesus is his first cousin. So they're not storhi only, the family connotation. They're certainly not eros, the physical connotation. But agapi, that's the Greek word that's used there in uh, in John 13, 23, the one whom Jesus was prepared to give his life for. And I am he, he says, the one whom Jesus loved. And so you begin to see that, that this man um, is, is called by the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, in fact, he's so close to Jesus that on the cross, Jesus says to him, John, you take care of my mother. You take care of my mother because he's a responsible man. He is in a close relationship 
with Jesus, and he's trustworthy to be taken on um, as the carer of his mother. And folks, that's what I want to focus on today, this, this relationship aspect of John the disciple, because he would have really struggled had he not been in a close relationship with Jesus. And so Karl Barth says this way, the word became flesh, and then through theologians, it becomes words again. We can often turn this Bible uh, into just plain, simple words, or we could be people who take these words and turn them into action, is what that theologian Karl Barth is saying. And so, uh, if we look at the life of, of, of John, he had a massive influence as a disciple for the kingdom of God. Because we read in Galatians 2.9 that James and Cephas and John, they were esteemed as pillars in the church. That word pillar uh, is the Greek word stilos. Now at home we've got um, color bond fencing, but it doesn't just stand. It's got pillars that keep that color bond fencing up. And that's what is said here by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.9. These men were solid pillars in the early church. They could be leaned upon. They could be relied upon because they were solid, powerful uh, people of God. In fact, uh, we know uh, in the book of Revelation, you, you know, uh, Fox's uh, book of Martyrs actually says that the churches in Smyrna, Pergamos, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and Thyatira, those seven books uh, that are spoken of in the book of Revelation were founded by him were founded by John. And so you begin to see the, this, this man uh, that is so powerful and um, goes around and strengthens those churches uh, that he visits. And he had this powerful relationship with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what inspired him. Um, and so you, you begin to see that, that uh, what, um, what great cost uh, he had to, to pay, if you like, uh, to, to follow Jesus and to follow him effectively. In fact, um, the, there's this beautiful illustration of the cost of true discipleship where there is this pig and this uh, hen that get together and they actually talk about uh, how they can help out in the church's feeding program. And the hen suggests, well, maybe we can be part of this feeding program by supplying the bacon and eggs. And so uh, the pig says, yes, that's not a bad idea. But for you, sister hen, you only have to produce eggs. But for me as a pig, I need to give my life. And that's the cost of discipleship. And John knew that cost not because he was willing to be martyred, but because he gave of himself because of that intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to share with you some of the good characteristics of uh, the life of John in that next slide and how he uh, had this undivided commitment to following Jesus. Friends, you'll know, uh, just as an aside, that uh, in, in 1 John, he mentions the words to know and to love 31 times. And basically what he's saying, so each of those words in the Greek, 31 times. And what he's basically saying is that to know Jesus means to love. 
The evidence that you love is because you know, because of that intimate relationship. So let me go through uh, some of those uh, beautiful character qualities of John. Well, firstly, uh, he was filled with humility. We know that because uh, he, he doesn't say, well, the one that whom I loved, his name is Jesus. But no, the one who loved me, the one who loved me. Why can he say that? Uh, why can he call himself the, the, the apostle whom Jesus loved? Because of that intimate relationship. Because he spent a lot of time around Jesus. In fact, he, he, he loved being with Jesus. And that, while preparing this, was a major challenge to me. How much do I love spending around Jesus, if you like? If Jesus was here today, uh, would I want to spend time with him or say, you know what, enough already, I need to go and do some other stuff. There's a program I need to watch, there are things I need to do, you know, places to go, people to see. Enough, Jesus. Or am I truly committed to this Jesus? We also know that he was very aggressive in dealing with heresies in the church. How do we know that? Because he began to correct people. 1, 2, and 3, John, he writes to the, the church about Gnosticism. Gnosis in Greek means knowledge. And they felt that the more knowledge they have about Jesus, the more spiritual they are. You see, and often uh, that can be misleading because knowledge puffs up. But that's why it says you need to also love. It's, you know, it's uh, carried out in action as we love one another. In fact, that's what Joseph Aldrich says. That's what the church is all about, when we serve and love one another. Although uh, he was able to, to be aggressive, he did it in a very loving and gentle manner. We know that uh, in, in Acts 4.19, we read, whether it is right for us to obey God or man, you be the judge. We will obey God. That word obey is the word akuo uh, in Greek, uh, which means to hear and understand, to hear and understand. And that comes because of relationship. If I were to say to Michael, our son, son, uh, time to uh, go and clean your, your room. He might have heard what I said, and he will put it into action. Good, somebody says, yes, miracle. Uh, you know, uh, but only when he aguo, not when he hears, only when he obeys does he fully understand and so Peter and John, when in the book of Acts, they need to, you know, they're going to feel persecution coming up, and they say, we rather obey God rather than humanity because we have heard and understood who Jesus Christ is because we walked side by side with him in an intimate relationship. That great theologian Martin Luther said, a religion that gives nothing costs nothing, and suffers nothing, is worth nothing. We say that again. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing, is worth nothing. You see, there's a difference between truth and opinion. There's a difference between truth and opinion. Truth is found in the Word of God. Opinion comes from anywhere. We also know that he was a great servant to Jesus. Because Jesus said to him, go and prepare the Passover meal. He could trust John. 
And so uh, he knew that John was willing to serve him, and he says to him, go and prepare that Passover meal. We know that he was a man of prayer. You see, Jesus took him up to the Mount of Transfiguration to pray. Uh, when Jesus uh, was in the garden, uh, when uh, he, he said to Peter, James, and John, pray for me, and when he went uh, and bowed down and tears of, uh, of blood came out of him, uh, saying, Father, take this cup away from me. Not my will, but thy will be done. Peter, James, and John were there praying for Jesus. We know that uh, Eusebius, one of the, the fourth century church fathers, uh, wrote about this uh, John, uh, was a great prayer warrior and intercessor. We know he was a man of prayer. We know that he studied and knew the scriptures well because uh, we read about it uh, in John 2, uh, 17, because he quotes the Old Testament. He quotes Psalm 68, where uh, he says, the zeal for your house has consumed me, where Jesus actually said uh, those words, and John would have known the Old Testament, and he says that Jesus said those words because he knew the Old Testament. So he knew the Scriptures well. You see, John was in tune with the, the Scriptures and, in fact, was able to call Jesus the Word. Remember in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God? That's speaking about Jesus. He knew what Jesus was all about, and he starts off and basically theologically says that Jesus was there from the very beginning, and he is the one uh, that was part of creation and is the one that walks among us here in chapter 1, verse 14 of John. Beautifully, he's able to admit sin and repent of it. Admit sin and repent of it. You see, he was a man that, that realized that he'd been called one of the sons of thunder by Jesus because of all his zeal. He was a, he was a crazy man in the beginning. But Jesus, in a relationship with him, is able to transform him and change him. And he's able to turn from that way uh, of being uh, fiery and bad news and is turning to something that is good news. In fact, in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, uh, you know the verse so well. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A really good set of beautiful uh, character qualities of John. But there's one bad character quality, and that was sadly that his zeal created anger. Uh, and it was more than just righteous anger. Remember in John chapter 2, uh, John records Jesus is going to clear the temple. Well, that's righteous anger. But John can often become bad news because he can blame it on righteous anger. And he does that, but um, it is very dangerous in the way he does it. Remember, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Jesus calls him and his brother sons of thunder, sons of thunder. And the word thunder there in the Greek, um, uh, basically, according to the Vincent Word studies, uh, is they, they voiced themselves in such a way that they actually created animosity in their zeal. In fact, the one time uh, in 
uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. They call, the way Elijah did, they called fire from heaven to come and consume. I mean, you know, <laughs> Jesus says, no, we rather love and w- win people over. And so he becomes, they become so fanatic. We know that, that uh, in the beginning he was very intolerant because he was uh, fanatic. In fact, he, 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 uh, he, this fanaticism and this intolerance can, can actually uh, start to push people away. And that's not what discipleship is all about. That's not being a beautiful bride. Uh, he, he can often become vindictive uh, the way he, he became nasty at times. And, you know, the, the way he, he wanted his own way rather than the way that Jesus wanted. He was... Um, often very vehement, wanting to go uh, and forcefully have his way. And Jesus rebukes him about that because perhaps of his selfish ambition. But the more time he spends in relationship with Jesus, the more he becomes like Jesus. Now, friends, I don't think it's bad to be zealous for God. But when you're overzealous, you can become fanatic And as somebody said to me once before, you're so heavenly-minded that you are of no earthly use. Heard that before? You're so heavenly-minded that you are of no earthly use. And that's not what Jesus wanted. In fact, Jesus rebuked him because the one time John went and said to him, "Uh, Jesus, my, my mother... Myself and my brother James would like to sit at your right hand. And after Jesus rebukes him and explains the whole situation to him, he says, listen, in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so that whole idea here is that discipleship is all about servanthood. And then let me close by saying that John had a powerful life-giving influence on others, a life-giving influence on others. Because we read uh, in Galatians 2.9, as we read earlier, that uh, even the apostle Paul acknowledged God's grace on John. And folks, that's a powerful thing to do, that when somebody else begins to see who Jesus Christ is in you, then God gets the glory. And we know that he went around doing a lot of things. In other words, he was beautiful because he was caked by the dust of Jesus, and as he's caked by the just dust of Jesus, he's able to speak the words of Jesus after Jesus uh, has ascended to the Father. Lee Robertson, in his book, The Gold Mine, uh, says this, A father and a son arrived in a small western town looking for an uncle whom they had never seen. Suddenly, the father, pointing across the square to a man who was walking away from them, explained, There goes my uncle. His son asked, How do you know when you have not seen him before? Son, I know him because he walks exactly like my father. I know him because he walks exactly like my father. And what uh, Lee Robertson says, that if we walk in the Spirit... The world should know us by our walk. And then one of the final characteristics of John is that he was concerned for others. He really wanted to be concerned for others. 
because he was a great learner. He learned from Jesus, and, and Jesus was really concerned for others. Uh, he, he was able to, to take care of other people that he came into contact with. And I want to suggest to you, it's because he had a relationship with Jesus. You know, in John chapter 3, verse 3, that very same John that we're speaking about now was able to say, you must be born again. Remember with Nicodemus? Nicodemus comes to him at night and inquires about, you know, who this new uh, Jesus is. And Jesus says to him, you must be born again. In other words, he tells him the difference between religion and relationship. Between religion and true spirituality. And that comes with relationship. And so John 3, 3, you must be born again. Terrible translation in the English. The Greek says you must be yenithi anothen, born from above. Born from above. In other words, you don't have to follow all these things that bind you. But Jesus comes to set you free. And as he sets you free, he wants you to follow him and not be bound by religion. And you see, when you begin to eat the dust of Jesus, it's because you're in relationship. You begin to become fat. You begin to become fat. Well, I know what you're thinking, and I agree with you <laughs> that I'm very spiritual. But let me, su <laughs> that I, let me suggest fat uh, in that next slide there. Uh, fat stands for faithful, available, and teachable. Got you there, hey? <laughs> faithful, available, and teachable. What does faithful mean? Well, to be steadfast and firm and dutiful in the way you follow Jesus. John had that. He was available. He was able to be there uh, for Jesus to use. See, and that's what a disciple is, is saying, Lord, here I am, use me. Here am I, Lord. Use me. Not here am I, send him. Here am I, Lord, use me, available. And then he was able to be teachable. He was able to be taught by Jesus. We said he, he was a great learner. And as he learned from Jesus, he was able to hand over, he was able to hand over those things that he learned. And so there's a big difference, friends, if you look at that next slide, between religion and a relationship. You see, religion can often bind us and keep us so tight in this little bowl, you know, and we have to follow these three things. And if we don't, then you know what? We ain't going anywhere. We're not followers of Jesus. But when you're born from above, there is a spirituality that begins to explore who Jesus Christ is, that begins to imagine who Jesus Christ is, because that's what discipleship is all about. As I'm learning from somebody, I'm able to hand over to somebody else and see in a beautiful way how God works in that person's life. And so as we begin these grit relationships, John is a beautiful personality to learn from, a personality that actually says, you know, I've learned from the best, and what I've learned from the best, I want to pass on all that good stuff. And I wonder where you are on your spiritual journey. I used to follow religion. 
I grew up in a very traditional church. We used to follow the, uh, the things, and if you, you know, there were certain times to fast, certain times to pray, and certain times to do things. You, you, uh, you know, if you wanted to be spiritual, then you became a priest. That's what regimented and kind of crushed me. But then when I discovered who Jesus Christ is, boy, did that set me free. I learned the first Greek word, and it's the word, wow. <laughs> wow. You can spell it either way, W-O-W or W-O-W, however way you like. But he comes, and he penetrates your heart, and he changes you from this binding religion to following the word, and that sets one free. And I pray that you too have discovered the awesome relationship that is found in Jesus. I'm going to hang around afterwards if you want to talk. I'm more than happy to be around. Let's pray together. Father, there are many great things that can be said about the Christian life. But Lord, for me, the greatest thing is that you love me, that you gave your life for me, and that you've left me with your Holy Spirit to help me, to comfort me, to counsel me in my walk with you. Lord, teach me more Lord, make me more available. Lord, make me more faithful to following you. May I be a fat Christian, so, so fat for you, Lord, that people will only see you through me. I need you, Lord. I need your Holy Spirit to help me to do this for your honor and for your glory, in Jesus' name.